Hey everybody, and welcome to Prayer and Praise, the podcast with National United Methodist Church, where we seek to make the love of God obvious. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel Livingston, but most people just call me Pastor Rachel. And here we are at Prayer and Praise, where we share our stories so that you can see God at work in our faith journey, so that you know that you're not alone and that God is always with you. The faith journey is not always easy, but God is with you. It is true that your story can be a lived out prayer and your witness a praise to God. I will tell you that this week, I really enjoyed creating this week's episode. It helped me feel at home. It made me love the skin I'm in. I love sitting with the elders. I love black history. I loved it all. So I enjoyed creating this week's episode, editing this week's episode, having conversations with Miss Belva this week. It was just a joy. First and foremost, we are closing out Black History Month as this episode is releasing. This episode is supposed to be released on February 28th, so it is the last day of Black History Month, and what a good way to celebrate this good moment of black history by speaking with one of the elders of our community, the elders of the black community. And it is just a precious gem to sit with Miss Belva Newsom on this day as she talks about her experience of faith, as she talks about blackness in the community, as she talks about her family experience. It was just a great opportunity. At our Wesley location, one of the banners on our pulpit says our stories are black history and I just love that statement I actually took a picture of that and posted it on my Instagram and showed it to all the world because well and I also said that I love my job because the fact that I walk into church and see that that our stories are black history, the affirmation that I am me and I can love being in the skin that I'm in and that I have a story that contributes to black history too, makes me feel at home here at National and makes me feel loved and seen, right? So that was a beautiful thing for me to walk in on Sunday morning and to see that put in our pulpit. So I want to share that we all have a story and we as black people are part of lived out history as well. I too am lived out proof of black history. For example, my grandfather, my mother's father, Dr. Roscoe L. McKinney was the first African-American to receive a PhD in anatomy, which was from the University of Chicago. And his research on tissue cultures was one of the leading science documents of his time, really up until I think maybe the 70s and 80s. And I think even now people reference some of his documentation. So my grandfather is lived out black history. But also 
I hold my own black history and that I carry with me him wherever I go. His blood is in my veins. He is my ancestor. I stand on his shoulders. He made things possible for me. But also even before I came to National as one of the associate pastors, I was the first African-American woman to serve as the senior pastor of Sheltonham United Methodist Church, which is a historical landmark and it is a big deal for me to be the first African-American woman to be the lead pastor of that church. So I am walking black history. My story is black history and the stories and struggles of my ancestors brought me to this point here today. And so it is an honor and a privilege to be able to sit with Miss Newsom as we were able to just be real with one another and talk about her lived out experience. But I'm excited today because talking with Miss Belva was an opportunity to sit with a piece of living black history while she shares her testimony. I have heard Thomas, who's one of our members at our church, tell Miss Belva that she needs to write that book and tell her story. And he is absolutely right. She has seen so much she has so much of a wealth of knowledge on the city, on the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, on her experience. She just has so much to share. And I am encouraging you, Miss Belva, to write that book, even if you need a ghostwriter like maybe me or somebody else. I don't know, but I'm willing to help you in this project. And she has lived in this city in Washington, D.C., and has served as a lawyer, served as a judge in the government, and she has seen the transition of the culture of D.C. going from Chocolate City to now what it is. And she's seen so many things and i'm glad that she was willing to share her story now one of the things that i think must be acknowledged in this story is that miss belva talks a little bit about the merger of national united methodist church and the different churches that came together to form this national united methodist church that was the merging of Metropolitan Memorial with Wesley United Methodist Church and Eldbrook and St. Luke's. This is who we are. We are an amalgamation of multiple different churches that came together to be one. And I specifically bring this up because too often we gloss over this conflict that we had and this pain that we endure as if it doesn't affect who we are. And the murder itself brought out pain that has continued ripple effects today. And even just stepping into this church for the couple of months that I've been here, I could see the ripple effects that were affecting the people here. And Miss Belva speaks of the cultural differences between Metropolitan and and Wesley. She says that Metropolitan was close to the frozen chosen um, and, and the way that uh, worship was different at Metropolitan. And I think she's pointing out the specific differences in worship styles, but also I think she's acknowledging some of the pain that she experienced while she underwent this merger. And I think we have to be aware of 
the lived out experience of some of our members because there is in this space what some people feel is an erasure of specific cultures and a lack of attention to specific needs of those in the congregation. However, we are the people of God that don't always get it right. And we are one community who lives together and are continuously trying to figure out how to live together and love on one another. So it's true, we have had a merger and even Miss Belva talks about some of the loneliness that she experienced in the merger and some of the difficulties that she experienced. But one thing is true. We are one church, National United Methodist Church. Our worshiping congregations are both Wesley and Metropolitan. And what ties us together is Jesus Christ. And that is far greater than anything that divides us. And even though our differences may be cultural and our worship style may be a little bit different. The Holy Spirit brings us together. And I want to thank Ms. Belva for sharing her truth and sharing what she experienced because God brings us all together and values each of our different styles and brings us together that we might be the people of God. So Ms. Belva, I probably could listen to your story for hours. Lord knows I live in listening to and learning from our elders. My dream is to sit with the elders while they tell their story so that I can also share it with future generations. Together, we are building the quilt of history that allows people to see the story so that we won't forget and that we always will remember. But before I go too far down the road and give you all too much, let's get into our scripture and our meditation and then we'll have a talk with Ms. Belva Newsom. Enjoy y'all. I'll be reading Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, the New International Version. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The word of God for us. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining me to try to show what newer things the Lord is doing. Before the pandemic, I went to Jamaica to meet my new church family. My pastor, Reverend Dr. Emily Perdue, had been appointed to Talbot Chapel AME in New Bowens, Jamaica. My new church welcomed me warmly. Spirit, the joy of the Lord filled the sanctuary. When the pandemic hit, we could only worship through Zoom. Broadband in Jamaica is like it is in rural America and the Wi-Fi was hit or missed. I do not remember much about the time after my best friend Maddie died. I remember that I talked to Paula 
I do remember that Pastor Ali called me to support me in my grief. I joined prayer and praise and found another loving church family, Wesley UMC. During the pandemic, we had better Wi-Fi connection and Zoom united us through the Holy Spirit. The first verse of our passage requires that we forget the past. How many of us still carry the past as a burden that keeps us heavy laden? Unforgiveness is one of the burdens that holds us in the past. My sister, brother, and I have been estranged since my father's funeral. I am confronting my unforgiveness where I hold on to every slight, every put down, every insult, all the way back to my childhood. My childhood was marred by intense sibling rivalry. This was not as intense as Cain and Abel or Joseph and his 11 brothers, but it could get very ugly. I was the smart and strong one. My sister was the pretty and athletic one. And my brother was Prince William, the heir apparent. We did not choose these roles. Southern black culture defined them and our family imposed them. I'm not sure if any of you Remember, Fathers Knows Best, Leave It to Be There, or any of the 50 sitcoms. These shows idolize the nuclear family, home ownership, and imposed other societal supposed middle-class values. Today, we worry about the impact of social media, but the idolized family of the 50s had an even more grievous fact effect. <laughs> My family, like so many others, strove to meet these impossible standards. What I'm going to tell you is only a part of the past that holds me in my stumbling block of unforgiveness. You may remember in my memoriam of Maddie, I talked about how she just said to me, come to church. I did, and I have been blessed, so blessed. The Apostle Paul states in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I am so glad God has forgotten and forgiven my past and made me a new creation. I did not always listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us also don't always listen. And years have gone by before I tried to make contact with my brother and sister. Recently, I sent a note to my brother telling him where I lived and giving him my telephone number. He called me back and we now text. It was a step. My sister and I had a very extreme rivalry. She wanted to be the oldest and I just wanted to be left alone. And she hung up on me when I called her. The Holy Spirit is walking with me and my anger is the work in progress. Healing 60 odd years of anger is a step-by-step -step process. When I forgive myself and forget the past as the passage commands, I will work, walk further into my new creation. 
Welcome, everybody. We are gathering together for our Prayer and Praise podcast, and we have the opportunity to talk with Miss Belva Newsom, who shared with us a meditation on forgiveness and how the Lord has been working in her life. So we are thankful for the opportunity to talk to her today. So Ms. Belva, tell us a little bit about who you are and how God has moved in your life. Well, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was raised in the Presbyterian Church where the words frozen chosen are accurate. Uh, We went to church and we sat with our coats on and we sat and the preacher prayed the same prayer the entire time that I was a member. So I sort of moved away from the church and became what they call the CME, Christmas, Mother's Day, and (laughs) Easter. When I met my friend Maddie in 1987, she was going to St. Paul AME, and they were a very active church with gospel sings on Friday night and prayer and praise. Mm -hmm. So I started going to St. Paul's, but I wasn't ready for the AME experience, so I went back to a Presbyterian church. And I wasn't ready (laughs) for being a frozen chosen. I moved over (laughs) to Northwest Connecticut Avenue and Wesley was right Mm -hmm. up the street. So I walked up Mm -hmm. there and uh, we had developed a gospel choir over a period of time. And so the music was Mm -hmm. very familiar to me. And even though we don't shout or dance in the uh, United Methodist Church, I joined the church. Mm -hmm. Then they merged the churches, and Mm -hmm. Metropolitan is close to the Frozen Chosen. They have Mm -hmm. to stay up in the choir, and they sing hymns and anthems. And also, like Duke, where where I went to undergrad, they really weren't ready for people of color. They Mm -hmm. talked to each other, and I sort of felt like Mm -hmm. I'm standing over here all by myself, what in what it's called fellowship. Mm -hmm. So I didn't go back to Metropolitan. I stayed at Wesley. And then they sent (laughs) young pastors and the lady, they whole agreed that they should teach Christianity by focusing on the play Wicked. I could not understand that. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was an entirely different Wesley. So I went back to St. Paul and I joined St. Paul because it fit where I was going in my uh, Christ walk. It was small. It was at that point warm. (laughs) Sometimes churches grow cold as the members grow older and they want what happened in the past to stay what happens. And I've never been a past sort of person because I was raised in the 50s and early 60s or the late 50s and early 60s. And Mm -hmm. during the civil rights movement, we were trying to move away from the box that white people had put us in. I call Mm -hmm. you Pastor Rachel because when I was growing up, white people called you by your first name to show that they weren't in charge. And I appreciate you calling me Miss Belva, although... I never thought I was getting to be old enough to be a Miss Belva. <laughs> well, they, I think that's, I've learned that that's kind of the difference between kind of white church and black mm-hmm. church. It, it's just a, a 
culturally different. You know, growing up, my parents always said, you call you, you call them miss or miss, Mrs. or Mr. <laughs> you give them their mm-hmm. title. So sometimes in, in the Black church, I notice that people hold titles a little bit more. And so that has been the interesting adjustment for me because even my cousins who are older than me, it was like, you don't just call them Dwayne. That's not just Dwayne. That is cousin. Yes, Dwayne. you have to. Because he's aunt, cousin. You yes. have to give them yes. a title. Yes. And you never yes. called yes. any adult by their first name. That was no, never. never. That was oh, a real no-no. So yes. I grew up <laughs> calling everybody either aunt, miss, Mrs. Grandma, some title. And the AME mm. Church is big on titles. And I understand that. Getting mm. to be a reverend doctor is not something that we thought we would ever get to. The True. Presbyterian Church is not high on women preachers. Neither is the AME Church, but they've run out of men who want to be preachers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of the women, most of the people getting college education in the Black community and going more are women. Mm -hmm. I think that has a lot to do with what happens to Black men in high school when they get the word thug or something like that attached to them, and it limits how far they think they can go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But where I grew up, education, my grandmothers, my father, everybody said they can't take your education away from They forgot to say they don't pay you for all that education. And so I... uh, went to law school and that's how I ended up in Washington. And Mm -hmm. I didn't go back to North Carolina because at the time I came to Washington, it was turning into chocolate city and black people were in charge Mm -hmm. of all kinds of things. Corporation Council, which is now the Attorney General's office and Walter Washington was the first black mayor. Then we went to Marion Barry and I worked in many agencies. Mm -hmm. Although D.C. government is like a bad high school. At least we had a little bit of power and we decided things Mm. either in favor or against people. And sometimes we were mostly against people, but... (laughs) My mom grew up in D.C. and I think her her experience in Chocolate City was something that she really affectionately uh, Mm -hmm. remembers. So, yeah, the city has changed a lot, even over the past maybe five years Oh, yeah, we're now in the minority. We're now mm-hmm. poorer. <laughs> and they pushed a lot of us into Prince George's County, which we have called DC mm-hmm. Light or the Ward 9. There are only seven wards or something in DC. But uh, PG mm-hmm. County got a lot of our best and brightest. Some of them still work for the DC government, but they took their money out to PG County and they took. Mm -hmm. their problems when they closed places on Minnesota and Minnesota Avenue and Benning Road and started building apartments that attracted white people. There was a yes, Mm -hmm. you know, that natural food grocery store. There was a yes on Minnesota Avenue when I was uh, working for D.C. government just before I retired. And that was such an anomaly. That was always up here on Connecticut Avenue. Then they moved one to Georgia Avenue, and then they got all the way out to Minnesota Avenue. But my position was they weren't going to run me out of D.C. That just wasn't going to happen. Nor should they. Mm -hmm. Nor should they. They should not have that much Mm -hmm. power. 
Yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about your friend Maddie in your meditation and how you gave honor to her uh, when she passed. So talk to us a little bit about Maddie, because it's clear that she meant a lot to you. It probably is fitting to even talk about her during your conversation. Okay. So. Maddie came and interviewed for a job with me mm-hmm. at my second D.C. government job. And we closed the doors and we found out we disliked the same people and we knew a lot of the same people. And she said that she was the person who cleaned up the mess that the leader made so that things got done. So I hired her and then she told me to come back to church because let us say that a foul mouth and a sailor were definitely my trademarks at that time (laughs) and place. And by going back to church, I cleaned up my language a whole bunch, which is a really good thing. Paragraphs of curse words are not the sign of a Christian woman. (laughs) And when we stopped going to St. Paul, because there was a change in pastors, like both Methodist churches, you're itinerant and you go where you're sent. And the new pastor came in and said that because the music minister was gay, that he couldn't stay in that position. So all the young people left. Mm. I moved out to a Presbyterian church and she went with me, even though Presbyterian churches are not known for warmth. (laughs) Mm. But we went there because they had a nine o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service. The 11 o'clock service was stayed. The nine o'clock service was moving toward gospel music and more interaction between the pastor and the congregation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, that changed. And it seems like I'm church shopping, but I'm not. I'm just looking for a place to be comfortable and learn more about my walk with God and to get closer and to listen to the Holy Spirit, which is not something that I did for a long time. But now I uh, read the scriptures, I go to Bible study, I go to prayer and praise. And unfortunately, I also get appointed to committees. That's what I'm expected to do because my gift is administration. That is true. That's true. <laughs> I bought that gift. You have to use you have to use your gifts in the church. I know, but I fought it for as long as I could. That didn't last long, you know. Fighting the Lord is a very loose situation for the person. The Lord wins. Yes, yes. There's a gospel song about a group of dignified Christians going out to see a black man, and they ask him about revelations. He says. God wins. And that's all you need to know. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff in Revelations, but God wins. Mm -hmm. True, true. Maddie and I became really good friends. And as she got sicker, I took her to her doctor's appointments. And before COVID, I went out to see her in the nursing home every week after church. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. everybody went home. Luckily, like you have a dog, I have a cat. And she's good to talk to because she doesn't answer back. She has no opinions (laughs) on anything that I say. And I do contracts, contracted Mm -hmm. projects 
reviewing documents that are filed in lawsuits or before the federal government. And we worked in very small quarters. So that went to remote quite quickly. So I could mm-hmm. work remote and I could talk to people, even though most of the time we didn't use video. But at least I was talking to people and I was interacting with them. The Lord always brought me a job when I needed it, when my money was running out and all the things that we talk about, that he's on time. He might not come on our time, but he is on time. Amen. And he provides. But I'm like most people, I want to be in charge. I got to have control over my destiny. I have a plan. (laughs) And my plans generally backfire because I skipped ahead of God or I didn't listen to him. Ah, yeah. (laughs) So I'm giving I'm, I'm giving up control. I'm still planning and then I stop mm-hmm. because every time I plan I end up at the wrong end or having spent money that I didn't have to spend because he told me what I should do. Yeah. So my walk has been a couple of steps forward, a little falling back, but I am going forward to be the person that God intended me to be. Sometimes I put rocks in my road and sometimes the Lord puts rocks in my road to see how I'm going to let him lead me. And Mm -hmm. it's so much freer than when I am in control. I don't see the future. I just know what happened in the past. Although the writers say past is prologue, what past is is what you should learn from. But the future is something you should rely on God because you only got this present moment. So planning doesn't work because all I know is this present moment. True. Growing up in in the 50s and the 60s, we were not represented. I mean, when Diana Carroll got her the first black show where she was a nurse, TVs went on and we just watched it because... Was that, was it Julia? Julia. Is that the yeah, name of Julia. it? Julia. Thank you for reminding me because I drew a blank. All I could see was Diana Carroll. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in your meditation, you talked a little bit about COVID and how we couldn't meet in person and how we had to kind of pivot and maybe even kind of leaning into what you just said in terms of letting God lead us because we don't know what the future Mm -hmm. has. But maybe my question is, what did that teach us in terms of pivoting? And what do you think that God might have been telling us as we were having to pivot and shut down and all I think Paula sent me an email saying that there was prayer and praise because I notified the church that Maddie had died. Mm. And Pastor Allie had put it together. And now our prayer and praise is in Africa. It's in Maryland. It's across in Iowa. It spread the good news. It just spread it all over the world. And so that was the Mm -hmm. good thing that came out of Zoom, out of the COVID. The bad thing was it was too years between communions, two years. And I was so glad when we got to go back outside, which is where our first Mm -hmm. step was to use the tent that the children have and have outside Uh and a special way to have communion so we didn't come close to each other. But it was communion. And that's one of the lessons that we learned is that being separate, we cannot be communing and remembering 
God that although prayer and praise spread the word, the communion has an important part in how Christians worship. And so, yeah, it was a joy when we got to go back after the first vaccine. And then, of course, a new COVID thing came up. There was Delta. So we stopped again. And then there was Omicron. And we stopped again. I really appreciate the online live church because sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes it's too cold for me. to. It's Mm -hmm. only two blocks, but it's all uphill. Yeah, but when it's 90-something degrees... That's a hot walk. So I get on the online and I am, the one thing that everybody should know is that you can feel the Holy Spirit on Mm. Zoom, on Facebook, on any place where you are meeting together. So Mm. I also belong to a church in Jamaica because my pastor went to Jamaica and we had to do Zoom also. And it was amazing how close all of us felt while we were doing Mm -hmm. the services on Zoom. Now, the problem in Jamaica Mm -hmm. is that Wi-Fi, like every other third country in the rural America, is spotty. So we would start service and then it would all go away. But we kept trying. And we had Sunday school on Zoom. We had church on Zoom. We had Bible study on Zoom. So... It wasn't like it was a major interruption in my walk, but it was a major interruption in fellowship. I enjoy Mm -hmm. lunch at Wesley because I sit at different tables with different people and I learn so much from them. Like your, your sermon on the letter from Birmingham and the letter from Paul. Uh huh. I think, yeah, I think that was definitely with COVID. It it taught us how much we are dependent upon fellowship with one another mm-hmm. and even forced us to find creative ways to be in community. But even learning to coming back together in person, the movement of the Holy Spirit there is, mm-hmm. you know, a brand new thing, understanding like how much we need this, how much we miss mm-hmm. this. I think the Holy Spirit can move in all of those ways online and in person. But I think for someone who lives alone, (laughs) lives alone to be in community with other people was one of those things where I I learned I I need this. Earlier, you said something like your cat doesn't talk back to you. I wish my dog didn't talk back to me sometimes. I don't know what she's saying, but sometimes she she talks back to me. I don't know. Well, see, my cat is so busy training me. That she doesn't need to talk. <laughs> if her food is wrong, I have wet food, dry food, and her water. She will go and uh-huh. sit in front of the plate or dish that's wrong. Now, I don't know what's wrong. I have to figure that out. But I know something is uh-huh. wrong. She's trained me really well. She had two years of uninterrupted <laughs> training. So I think she might be a little snippy in her conversation. So I don't want to, <laughs> I can miss that. I can miss that. Mm-hmm. I I appreciated what you shared about some of the defined roles in Southern Black mm-hmm. culture. I grew up in the North. However, I do know that I also have Black culture defined roles. And even my father's family coming from the South, some of that is is ingrained in me as well. 
And I, I, I think I love the way that you paralleled that with social media because sometimes I think we think that we are so far removed from previous generations and we're not because we still kind of fit into some of those same rules and how you talked about the image of family and the and how there were 1950s shows kind of reinforced this perfect family, what the perfect family looks like and and how we as Black people have kind of tried to fit into certain roles. And so my question to you is maybe explain your experience with Southern Black cultural defined roles and what that meant for you. And yeah, we can start. start okay. There. Father knows best and all leave it to be there. Have a stay at home mother, a father that comes mm-hmm. home, dinner is on the table and one child is steady, calm. And then the little kid is all over the place and he makes mm-hmm. everybody laugh. And the big kid has to watch over him because sometimes he gets into really trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, I only know as far back as my grandmothers and everybody had to work. So there had to be one person who was in charge of the children, who was in charge of getting food on the plate and working too. So my grandmother was the oldest, my mother's mother. My grandmother on my father's side was, she was the third from the youngest. So her older sisters took care of her. And she didn't even know what a checkbook was when my grandfather died because she had never been in Mm. charge of any of the money. But both of them filled the role of the strong woman. And so I was supposed to be the strong child. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of your sister and brother because you're the strong one. Nobody ever asked me if I thought I was the strong one. They just told me Mm -hmm. I was the strong one. Nobody ever asked me if I wanted a sister or a brother either, but that's another story. (laughs) I would have done really well as an only child because I'm the only introvert in a family full of extroverts. My father sold life insurance for the North Carolina Mutual. My sister grew up to sell insurance and my brother sells real estate. I could not sell what yeah. we say at home, a crippled crab, a crutch. <laughs> I couldn't sell ice to an Eskimo. Do not, that is <laughs> definitely not one of my gifts. Sales is not my thing either. <laughs> <laughs> and I was happiest alone reading a book. My sister was happiest playing outside. So my role was to go outside and play with my sister, where I really wanted to be inside reading a book. I was outside, where she dared and climbed up on the roof of the playhouse and couldn't get down. <laughs> my role, get her down. Call mama to get her down. Somehow, it was I'm in charge of getting her down from the roof. Uh, my mother stayed at home, and that was my father's belief that the mother stayed home with her children. That is a part Mm -hmm. of moving toward middle-class urban. Mm -hmm. I mean, Wilmington had Mm -hmm. 50,000 people, but he's from Fremont, which doesn't even make a dot. There's no stoplight, or there wasn't one when I grew up. 
Mm-hmm. And so the urban black culture was based a lot on what you saw on TV. And as I said, I was the strong and smart one. So everybody would be asleep and I would be sitting up in the dining room doing homework. I started babysitting my sister and brother when I was 12. And please believe me, they didn't pay any attention to me. <laughs> None whatsoever. And those roles sort of continued until I decided I could take being strong no more. And I backed out. Mm-hmm. And my family, yeah. my hey. sister and brother are still mad about that. But I, I couldn't take it anymore. Going into a family gathering and they're telling me that since I'm the smart one, I need to do thus and so. Well, if I was the smart one, I shouldn't be there because the smart one would know to not come to dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. your story, well, it sounds a little different. I'm I'm a mm. middle child, but I definitely would prefer to read a book than, mm-hmm. you know, get out and be with people outside. Yeah. But I have leaned into trying to hold on to this strong black woman trope. And sometimes that's just hard. Sometimes you want to be. Can somebody just hug so, me? You don't want to solve everybody's problems. <laughs> I need a hug. And that was the other thing yeah. about the culture changes was, you know, on white TV, people don't hug. And being a Ooh. Presbyterian, we didn't hug. So um, <laughs> the first time my father hugged me was when I was going into Duke, the day that left he left me Ooh. off. And we didn't know how to hug. It was very mm. awkward. But that's why I like the fellowship and the passing of the peace yeah, because yeah, yeah. before COVID, I was really good at walking down the hall, uh, aisle and hugging all kinds of people. Now I'm not so good at it. <laughs> Understandably so, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was hard. But the thing that I like most about Southern Black culture is we went to the businesses. You bought insurance mm-hmm. from the Black man. Mm-hmm. You had a Black yeah. person to bury you. You had a black doctor. You had black teachers, a black principal. Everything was about blackness. And mm-hmm. our books may have been secondhand or whatever, but we knew who we were. Yeah. I don't have anything against the civil rights movement. I think it was the right thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except I was 12 when I integrated a school of 2,000 white people. Yeah. I had never seen that many white yeah. people in my end. <laughs> yeah. And then they integration was six black children. Six. Mm. And so they split us up. You know, in middle school, in order to fit in, you need to know somebody in the group. And yeah. they split us so that I was in mm. one side of the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And my mm-hmm. classmate was in the other side of the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Eighth graders don't talk to seventh graders. White people didn't talk to me. And then all of our institutions went away. Yeah, yeah. My mom talks a little bit about that and that in some instances, we lost a lot of identity because we had the school that the teacher would check on the student because they lived in the Mm -hmm. same neighborhood or, you know, and we just don't have that anymore because we've been dispersed and there's a little bit of a loss in culture, a little bit of loss in identity and all that. And so that's a loss 
loss that we have in the Black community. Because like you said, some of our businesses kind of went belly up because we were no longer their clientele. They're dependent upon the clientele of Black folk. But when Black folk kind of spread out to other places, it's just yes. they lost a lot of their clientele. And so, yeah, we still mourn some yes. of that. Yes, well, my father apologized to me because he would only let me apply to white schools because he wanted to continue mm. his education. So I was accepted at Duke, the University of North Carolina, and Princeton. And oh, okay. people were upset with me that I didn't go to Princeton because it was an Ivy League school. Yeah, but yeah. they didn't give a full scholarship and it snowed from October to April. <laughs> no, no, no. So I went yeah. to Duke. And one of the fun things that I learned at Duke is that it's a four-letter word. Mm. <laughs> Some people, yes. Yeah. I guess I know what you're talking about because my graduate studies, I went to Princeton and it's funny how people are always like, oh, tell people about how you went to Princeton. And I'm a little bit like, ah, I mean, yeah, I went to Princeton, but that Howard degree is really mm-hmm. yes, real I know. To me. Well, the other thing about <laughs> Howard at my time was I was too dark to go to Howard. Oh, really? really? Interesting. Yeah. In the South, there are a lot of people whose father, grandfather, were white people, Confederate soldiers, mm-hmm. unfortunately. My great-grandfather was a Confederate soldier, so. Mm. And my father looked like a white man. But in the South, they marry mm. brown women. And a lot of them don't have children because they're afraid the children will come out too dark. And mm-hmm. <laughs> my hair is really curly. As you can see, this is my natural hair. And it's mm. really hard to get it to be uncurly. So I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time with Madam C.J. Walker. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about the defined roles, but how is that similar to, or at least maybe similar to your understanding of how social media kind of puts pressures on us as well? Um, I have never been on Instagram, Reddit, or any of that sort of thing. I went on Twitter when Trump became president and scrolling was one of my bad, bad habits. I mean, I needed 52 people to tell me what he did that day and who he hurt. (laughs) And so, but I think social media is one of the things that oppresses women much more than the rules of when I grew up. The latest data says that teens are raped and bullied and those women have a hard time because everybody tells them they should look like this. When that white woman said that you weren't pretty unless there was a space between your thighs. Well, unfortunately for her, once puberty hit, there was no space (laughs) between my thighs. My thighs... (laughs) That wasn't a possibility. So these strict standards of the influencers is harmful. And then it leads to more bullying. I mean, we got a lot of bullying without social media. Yeah, People were gay. They got bullied. They tried to bully me, but I'm slightly crazy. And I went off on the (laughs) biggest football player in uh, school and told him never Mm -hmm. to do whatever it was he did again. So Mm -hmm. bullying me, although they didn't want to touch me for square dancing, but they did want my homework, which I stopped giving them. It was different. It was sort of individual persons at one place, a school. And now Mm -hmm. everybody has a platform 
to bully. And mm. the thing about privacy, my father's rule was if he paid for it, he knew about it. But now we give mm. children privacy. So we don't know that the poor kid is being bullied. And we don't mm -hmm. know that there's someone telling him to go ahead, commit suicide. Your life isn't worth living. Mm. Um, and that's a loss. That's a big loss. Yeah. There were no locked doors in my father's house. There was mm. nothing supposed to be kept secret from him, but you learn how to get around that. <laughs> Teenagers are the same now and then, which is you give us a rule and we go, I don't think so. And uh, we figure out a way. And since there was yeah. only the telephone, the black telephone with the rotary dial, it wasn't like they could find us. Mm -hmm. uh, we were supposed to be where they told us. And everybody and his aunt could call your parents, your grandparents, somebody, and say, Belva did this. She didn't speak to me on the street today. She talked in class. By the time I got home, whatever had happened that day, everybody in the house knew about. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing that we lost with integration. Nobody that was teaching me knew my family. So that protective yeah. layer was gone. And it was a protective layer. <laughs> you may not have ever heard of the primary book that they taught you to read. It starts C spot run, C dick run, C whatever mm -hmm. the child's name was. And when you get lost, mm -hmm. Look for a policeman. Mm -hmm. No. In the black community, we did not look for a policeman. We looked for aunt so-and-so, cousin that, uh, yeah. somebody who went with my, to my grandmama's church. That's who we looked for when we were in trouble, yep. when we were scared. We never went to a police officer. So the damage that is being done to our community now is on social media so people can see it. The damage that yep. they did to us with just rotary phones was word of mouth. However, Jet put Emmett Till's coffin picture on the cover, and I will never forget um, that. So... What's happening now happened then. That's why you can't really give up history. You have to yeah. keep it alive. You have to tell your children. And the problem now is they don't want to educate our children. And they yes. barely know Martin Luther King. Yes. <laughs> that's, yes, that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. That, oof. We could probably have a whole episode on just that alone. <laughs> well, yeah, you could. I mean, the civil rights movement. They don't understand. Fannie Lou Hamer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Man, and yeah. they didn't see her in the Democratic Convention. In the DNC. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. many people yeah. that helped Black people got killed. John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I watched funerals on TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I watched the Vietnam War on TV, which is a big difference mm -hmm. from the Korean War and the wars back. They weren't on mm -hmm. Huntley and Brinkley every night. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that violence, I think, just carried forward and kept people in segments of violence. And so most of the young black men were in Vietnam because they got mm. you at 18. And you spent at least one year in Vietnam. And yeah. I mean, they didn't treat black people for post-traumatic stress disorder after World War II. So we know that they knew what it was after Vietnam, but they didn't provide any services. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So well, that was another lost generation. And the thing that holds us together is the thing that we fight against. And that's the strong Black woman who raises the children of the lost, mm-hmm. who makes them get to school, shows them how to get dressed. And that doesn't have to be a grandmother. It could be an aunt. It could be someone Mm -hmm. in the community. So we fight hard against the treatment of our men. Mm, And between AK-47s, AR-15s, cops that beat you up because they can. And seeing that on social media every day. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can miss the fact that the gun lobby doesn't care if it kills white children Black children, Hispanic children, all they want to do is make money. Yeah, yeah. So you talked a little bit about, well, one, your forgiveness of your siblings and the transformation that came over you. So maybe we're slightly pivoting, although all of these things that we've been talking about have to do with transformation in Mm -hmm. God. But what does becoming a new creation mean for you, especially paired with forgiveness? But in general, what does transformation and becoming this new creation mean for you? I have been angry most of my life. I wanted revenge against dead people. So anger was the center of a lot of my life. And as Mm. I have moved closer to God and listened to the Holy Spirit and felt the salvation, I mean, not to be held guilty for your sins is a big breakthrough. Mm -hmm. The song says, wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. And when I forgave my sister and brother, it was like I left it this huge weight because I forgave them for 67 years of anger, of remembering Mm. every little thing. I remember stuff that my sister did when she was three and I was still (laughs) angry about it. Anger is (laughs) bad. I mean, just it leads to all kinds of other things. Physical illnesses, Mm -hmm. all kinds of other things. So it was like a great healing to forgive my sister and brother. And then I began to forgive myself because if you don't ask God for his forgiveness and then forgive yourself because you can forgive other people and still hold on to the fact that I did that. That was wrong. And Mm -hmm. you have to forgive yourself so that you can enjoy the joy and peace and calm you get from forgiving others. Mm -hmm. Well, we've gone on so long. I appreciate you sharing with me, Ms. Bell, but I'm actually have to take you to lunch because I'm sure we could talk for a whole nother hour. But But my battery is running down on my Yes, we'll conclude here. (laughs) Thank you so much. We want to thank Ms. Belva Newsom for joining us and sharing her story. It was a refreshing testimony of all the things that God has done in her life. Well, maybe not all the things that God has done in her life, but it was definitely good to see the pieces that she was willing to share where God was there. God was right there holding her hand or leading her in a specific way. And we thank her for her testimony because it is evidence that God is with us on this journey of life, on this journey of faith. And I must admit that I could sit and talk to Miss Belva for hours. 
I joked with Miss Belva and told her that the last two meditations were preaching folk. And these are people that like to talk because we had Angela and Pastor Doug share their meditations and they were about 15 minutes or so. But Miss Belva's meditation was about four minutes, which is not that long in comparison. However, she affectionately said that she was a lawyer and that she liked to talk as well. And I must say that she did talk and shared her story, but I loved every minute of it. I love listening to every minute of it. And we probably could have gone on for far longer than we did, but I want to thank her for sharing her story. What she shared brought new perspective to the black experience and challenged us to see the living history that is right in front of us. That was a real gift. And as we close out Black History Month, I want us to sit and appreciate what we have experienced. We have heard some of the realities of living life in black skin. We have also heard that some people hold on to specific ideals based on what society says or what cultures have put on us. But also we have seen some of the injustices that some people experience in their daily lives. And we heard what it means to give over control to God on this faith journey. We also explored what it means to forgive, forgive others, but also to forgive ourselves. And most importantly, we saw what it means to be transformed by God, to be changed on the inside that it reflects on the outside. Miss Belva has shared her story with us and hopefully you have seen God in her faith journey. And because of that, know that God is walking on this journey with you too because at Prayer and Praise, our lived out experience can be both our prayer and our praise to God. So as we close, you can catch us on our website at www.nationalchurch.org. There you can find our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services that are streamed. Our 9 a.m. is at our Metropolitan campus and the stream service is of our Wesley service at 11 a.m. And there's also an 11 a.m. service at our Metropolitan location. You can catch us on all of our social media platforms. You can catch us on Facebook at National United Methodist Church. You could also catch us on TikTok at National Church DC. And you can catch us on Instagram at National UMC DC. But of course, you can also catch us for prayer and praise on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. at www.nationalchurch.org slash prayer and praise. Remember, we at National United Methodist Church seek to make the love of God obvious. So let your story be a lived out prayer and let your witness be a praise to God. At this moment, I'm gonna close us out the way we always do. And I'm gonna let our meditator give us the benediction. And that would be the beautiful Miss Belva closing us out. Peace and blessings, y'all. I'm shortening a prayer I recently received. Sarah will tell you nothing is too difficult for God. Hagar will tell you 
even in the desert, God is there. Mary will tell you it will be done according to the word of God. Mary and Martha will tell you dead things can come back to life. And tonight I am telling you, God is doing a new thing. Go in peace and may the God of peace give you rest. Amen. <laughs>